Dharma practice day. I'll do the welcoming and introduction in a few minutes. But for now, just as you are, without any change of posture, um, any change at all, it might be useful to uh, turn your attention to your breathing, just as it is. No special effort to breathe any particular way. Notice how your breathing is. And in particular, notice your exhale. Notice what happens in your body and your torso as you exhale. Being very simple and easy. There's no right or wrong here. Just tuning into the experience of exhaling. And with the most gentle touch possible, with feather touch, see if you can pause a little bit or relax a little bit at the end of the exhale. So you're exhaling just a little bit more fully than you normally would, not by forcing it, (coughs) but for a gentle relaxing. Gentle letting go or relaxing at the end of the out-breath. The relaxing can be anywhere in your body, but it's somehow connected to your breathing. It doesn't have to be dramatic and softening at the end of the exhale. And if there's a pause or ever so slight pause at the end of the opera, see if you can linger there for briefest time possible. Just linger, enjoy that pause or the stillness there. Relax at the end of the opera. Enjoy the stillness.
your breathing can become a primary refuge, support, friend for you in your life. Your breathing can become your home. And when someone asks you what your address is, you can say, you're breathing. That's where you live. More than living in your the house that has a street address. Welcome to uh, the beginning of this year's Dharma practice cycle. <clears throat> and um, in a, every year I've done a different kind of theme exploration for these Dharma practice days. The idea behind the Dharma practice days is a little bit uh, uh, multiple, multiple purposes, uh, certainly to explore and some of the teachings of the Dharma, but also to practice some of the teachings. It's also to uh, engage in a variety of different learning uh, approaches around the Dharma. Um, Often in monasteries, uh, the monks and nuns there uh, learn a lot from each other, as much sometimes or maybe more so than they learn from the abbot or abbess or the great teachers. Um, The older monks or nuns will Often, often talk with the younger ones, and it goes in all kinds of directions. And uh, that sense of community and learning in community is a very important part of traditional uh, engagement in the Dharma. So part of the function of these Dharma practices has been to explore the Dharma in ways that also allows us to be in discussion with each other and and um, get to know each other and create a sense of community around the Dharma. Um, and as some of you have done this before, know that. Um, different Dharma practice days can be uh, organized or uh, very differently from the previous one. Uh, sometimes there might be very mostly just silence occasionally, just uh, no talking at all, just a lot of silence. Sometimes there's a lot of talking. Uh, some, uh, sometimes there's a lot of talking I do, I dominate. And sometimes I do very little and mostly you talk, a lot of discussions. Or sometimes it's uh, a very... Um, uh, Sometimes, sometimes kind of intimate uh, discussions that some of you might have with each other, one-on-one. I give you some topic to discuss, and sometimes it's group discussions, small groups, three or four or five. So it's, it's uh, you know, you come here and you'll never quite know what's going to be. However, this year, the theme of the year is um, mindfulness of breathing. And um, I think this year, the focus will be much more on the practice of meditation, guided meditations around breath and probably less on the interactive part than we've had uh, in the past. Um, So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But there'll be some, certainly interactive, some chance to discuss what's going on. And um, the... um, In the past, for these Dharma practice years, those of you who want to do the whole year, you can always just come for one of the sessions. Just come to it today, it's fine. But if you want to do the whole year, um, and I think that it'll definitely build over time uh, what we're doing here because we're following a progression that the Buddha taught. If you do the whole thing of doing the whole year, I'd like to encourage you uh, to um, find uh, a buddy in the group. Maybe today or some point, someone else is going to do the kind of year. And it doesn't have to be one buddy here, but the, the idea is to have some opportunity to, outside of this class, 
to have uh, conversations with people about your breathing. Normally, we don't go around, you know, how's your breath today? You know, what what have you learned about your breathing lately? Or what's the joys and sorrows around your breathing? Um, But uh, to find someone, it could be informal. It could be different people, different months. Or it could be the same person if you have a buddy over the course of the year. But to find someone uh, uh, who you can engage in a conversation around your breathing um, and um, what you're discovering, what your challenges are, um, you know, your thoughts about it, your relationship to your breathing, um, and you kind of share that and have a conversation about it. I think that will also help uh, the deepening and the engagement with the topic of this year if you have a chance to talk to someone about it and get feedback and learn. Maybe it's good to do with a number of people. Over the course, you get different experiences, different people's takes on the breathing. Um, and to share your experiences with it. Um, um, the reference point <clears throat> for this year is a particular teaching that the Buddha gave on the 16 stages of Anapanasati. And Anapanasati means uh, breathing in and breathing out. And there's, uh, the Buddha gave 16 stages. And as far as I know, there's only three places in the canon, the Buddhist teachings, where he talks about these 16 stages. And um, the most extensive is in the discourse called the Anapanasati Sutta, the discourse on the Anapanasati, which is found, found in the middle-length discourses of the Buddha. And it is... Um, uh, it's, you, know, it's found, uh, you can find translations pre- pretty easily, um, but one of the, uh, I did a translation which is found on IMC's website. So if you go to the articles link on our website, uh, and if you scroll through the articles, you'll find uh, a few translations I've done, and one of them is the Anapanasati. So it's, that's one place you can find it. And um, the other place, uh, one of the other places the Buddha mentions these 16 stages is when the Buddha gave, uh, seemingly the first time he gave meditation instructions to his own son. And uh, there he gave instructions on these 16 stages of breath meditation. And so I find that kind of touching, you know, that this is what the Buddha was going to, when the, breath, the Buddha was going to teach meditation to his son, he taught him these 16 stages. Um, the Anapanasati Sutta is uh, a little more significant because it uh, ties these 16 stages to the practice of the four foundations of mindfulness. And the Four Foundations of Mindfulness is the primary practice that uh, you know, we do here at IMC. And um, it's very nice that uh, the experience of breathing and using the breath uh, has this very, dovetails very closely or intimately with the experience of the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. And the Four Foundations, uh, the first one is the body. The second is the feeling tone of our experience. The third is mind or the mind state, state of the mind. And the third is the dharma the experience of the kind of deeper experience of insight that can come with practice. And, um, and so the, uh, these 16 stages are divided into four tetrads, four groups of four. And the first four is correlated in, in, in the sutta, in this discourse, it's correl- the first four are correlated with the foundation of the body. The second four with the feeling tone, the third four with the med- state of your mind, and the last four with the the dharmas. The, and this sutta also correlates the, or connects the practice of mindfulness of breathing with the seven factors of awakening. And seven factors of awakening is a very, are very important qualities of mind or inner life meditation that arise as, you, as a person deepens their meditation practice. And they're really beautiful qualities. Qualities, there's mindfulness, there's investigation, there's energy, there's joy, there's tranquility, there's concentration, there is uh, equanimity. Um, uh, beautiful qualities of mind that come. And so um, this breath meditation is correlated to that. And so the breath meditation is one of the vehicles for developing both the foundations of mindfulness and for developing these beautiful qualities of the seven factors of awakening. Um, The idea here is that uh, there's a way of using the breath or connecting to breathing where the the, the main kind of thrust of the meditation path to liberation uh, can be found. So the idea of breath meditation is it can has a very profound potential. 
and uh, it potential liberation. You can connect and get into the breath, concentrate in the breath, and use the experience of breathing as a way, as a, as a tremendous vehicle, as a tremendous door, uh, aid, support for the path of liberation. In addition, uh, breath meditation has a lot of other benefits. And the Buddhist tradition lists a variety of benefits that come with breath meditation. But, and also, uh, in modern life, there's lots of people, uh, psychologists, physiologists, cardiologists, neurologists, yoga teachers, uh, who will very happily list uh, all the benefits that come with uh, cultivating a wise, useful kind of breathing. And um, I read recently that they studied uh, 153 cardiac patients at some hospital, and all of them were breathing improperly. You know, there's healthy ways of breathing and improper ways, and, and every single one of them was the breath was, you know. And they did another study of people with heart attacks, and they taught a group of them how to breathe in healthy ways, and, um, and there was a dramatic, dramatic improvement in their cardiac health. And the, the, way they, the way they measured healthy and unhealthy breathing was whether a person uh, breathed primarily from their, the, the, what's called the secondary muscles, uh, respiratory muscles, the muscles that are in a kind of in your rib cage, upper rib cage. If you breathe primarily from there, that's considered, you know, over, you know chronically, that's considered unhealthy. And healthy is, is to breathe with your diaphragm, kind of your belly kind of going. And, um, and so it's kind of a very interesting correlation. The 153 of the 153 patients in the cardiac unit were breathing from their upper chest. And uh, when they were taught, or a different group were taught to breathe from the belly, their, their hearts uh, uh, improved dramatically. So um, there's a lot of benefits. They say you can benefit with sleep. You can sleep improves. Um, your health improves. Many things improve with uh, having a proper way of breathing. In the mindfulness tradition, we say that um, you know, in addition to its function of, of moving us towards liberation, mindfulness of breathing, um, well, uh, the, uh, tuning into your breath, the breath can be this great book, this great um, uh, indicator uh, of what's going on in your life. The breath will teach you a lot. The breath uh, changes its uh, nature, how you breathe, depending on how you're feeling, what you believe, what you're thinking, what you're doing. Um, so much changes. Uh, so the breath changes so much. And so if you start tuning into your breathing, you start learning so much about what's goes on in the rest of your life. And uh, sometimes it's the first, you know, it's going to be very powerful. And the more familiar, the more regularly you check in with your breathing, the more the breathing will show you what's going on. Also, if you start tuning into your breathing, uh, it's possible to see when the breath is being held and when there's a free breath. And just that ex- awareness itself can make it more likely that you'll return to a free breath, that your breath uh, breathe more freely and naturally. Uh, people who are unconscious about the breathing are more likely to uh, be chronically held in some way or other. People who are conscious of their breath, initially will be aware of often of how the breath is held or how it's unhealthy or natural. But with time, you'll find a more natural way of breathing. In the mindfulness tradition that I teach in, we primarily emphasize, don't try to control your breath or change your breath when you do mindfulness practice. Just breathe the way you are. There's some wisdom to that teaching. However, uh, when people first come to meditation practice, um, and we're kind of just getting started with hopefully maybe a lifetime practice of focusing on the breath or meditating, it's sometimes good to spend a little bit of time cultivating healthy breathing habits. And we often don't teach that. We just teach you, know, don't do anything about your breathing, don't breathe in any particular way, just notice. Over time, generally, the breath gets healthier and healthier. But there's nothing wrong with spending a little bit of time developing healthy breathing habits um, and then at the beginning of a meditation you know, life. And then you have that as a foundation that will support your meditation as you go along. Uh, it's uh, sometimes emphasized, uh, or say this way, that uh, there's many different uh, meditation practices in Buddhism that you can do. You don't have to do breath meditation. There's other practices you could do. And... Um, but it said one of the benefits of breath meditation is it's much more likely that your, um, your path of practice is going to be pleasant. It's going to be enjoyable. And uh, that's pretty good. And uh, sometimes, uh, occasionally people think that uh, you know, the Buddhist path, being a spiritual path and being very serious and uh, 
profound and that um, it needs to be kind of it needs to be serious and grim. It needs to be kind of you know you need to kind of kind of you know and you're dealing with you know ultimate issues, so you've got to kind of steal yourself and and uh, look good and the um, the Buddhist path of uh, spirituality um, uh, goes through requires has a, a joy relaxation happiness it's a very important qualities that need to be cultivated and developed and of course you can't feel happy and joyful automatically and sometimes you have to go through dark nights of the soul and sometimes you have to go through you know going through some of the deepest fears or anxieties or frustrations of your life but uh, in order you know to Get to, get to the other side of it, but uh, it's good to keep in mind that joy and happiness are really important parts of the path. And it's said that breath meditation is one of the wonderful ways to ensure that or to help that happen. The breath meditation has a quality that's supposed to be relaxing and enjoyable. And um, if it's not, then we work with that, try to explore how that might happen. So it's said that breath meditation is very conducive and the technical expression in Buddhism is to a pleasant abiding here and now. It's also conducive towards getting concentrated. It's considered a wonderful concentration uh, technique. Now, breath meditation doesn't work for everybody. Uh, and you don't have to take it as a personal failing. It doesn't work for you. Uh, sometimes it doesn't work for some people because they've had some kind of trauma in their life associated with the breathing. And so somehow that uh, bringing attention to the breath doesn't doesn't work so well. I've known people who have struggled uh, with their breathing and then at some point they realized that the reason they were struggling was um, they had a near drowning experience as a child and somehow that did condition them in such a way that getting close to the breath was made, made, made things difficult and they're better off not focusing on the breath. So, um, you know, always with practice, we're always kind of rela- always kind of taking into consideration our condition, how we are with great compassion and acceptance, and then working with that, using that as a basis to work with. But for, but for most people, uh, breathing uh, can work very well. And uh, For some of you there, during this year, if the breath meditation doesn't work so well for you, certainly uh, come and talk to me. We'll talk about it. And there's uh, various ways of doing it uh, um, that might, you know, adjustments that can be made that might be helpful. So the idea for this year is to go through these 16 stages of breath meditation. And, um, and uh, some days we'll go through a number of these stages in one day. Like today, my plan is to do three stages. And uh, some days we might just do one, um, uh, depending on how it goes and how much time we need to different stages. Um, now, it would be nice if at the end of the year you were all liberated. You know, we just follow these 16 <laughs> stages and just, you know, we've matter of fact, and, you know. And, um, and that would be very nice and certainly my hope. But um, a more realistic hope is that uh, you have a kind of felt sense, a visceral kind of sense, experience, uh, appreciation of how the breath is a path and a vehicle for going deeper and deeper into your spiritual life. And, um, and I have a sense of how these stages work and have some sense of some of the deeper, uh, some of the deeper aspects of the Dharma. Maybe you don't understand it to its full potential, but you have some real appreciation of some of the depth of of what the Dharma is about and so that's practical and useful in your life not just something abstract um, I'll talk a little bit more the plan, was, the plan is to mostly do, do breath meditation today um, the the um, From uh, my Zen training, where this was emphasized, um, the teaching there was uh, some, 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 some Zen teachers is to pay attention to your breath all the time. They're not just in meditation, but they're cultivating you know, a kind of the unconscious default where your attention is regularly going to your breath. It doesn't mean that you're absorbed in the breath, not paying attention to anything else, but that you're aware of the breath in addition to everything else. So the breath is like the home where you reside. And you're still looking out the windows. 
seeing what's in your neighbors and what's going on. But you're always kind of checking into your, your breath. But that takes time to cultivate that familiarity, that regularity, that concentration, that grounding in the experience of breathing. But I find it very, very helpful to check in and be there and be in touch with it all the time. So one of the things you might do is to um, you know, start doing that in your daily life. Trying to tune in and cultivate that ability. The other thing I want to say is that um, is about this discourse of the Buddha. Some of you might read it. Um, you know, it's something as with many discourses of the Buddha, uh, the uninitiated kind of uh, person falls asleep I think reading it. It's not that interesting, you know, on the surface. Um, however, if you, uh, I encourage you to read it with your imagination, uh, kind of the active reader rather than the passive reader. And uh, so, for example, the opening of this, you know, it's kind of formulaic. But you, if you start imagining the scene that's being laid out for you, there's a, uh, the scene for the sutra is that of um, a large gathering of monks, of practitioners, and, uh, who are gathering. And it says the uh, senior monks are teaching the younger monks. And some are teaching 10, some are teaching 20, some are teaching 30, some are teaching 40 monks. So you have all these kind of groups. You can imagine this beautiful park-like setting. They often met in parks-like settings in the time of the Buddha, forest settings. And you can see, kind of spread out around you, uh, these little groups. And they're all intent. They have a senior practitioner who's, in their other monastics, the monks and nuns are sitting around. And, um, and uh, maybe there's rapt attention, which has a kind of wonderful quality to be witnessing these people so attentive. And, um, and, they're, and they're being instructed. And the Buddha is in the midst of it, sees all this, is aware of it. And the Buddha announces to all of them when they gather together that he's really pleased, he's really happy that to see this going on. And that as he, he notices that as uh, these younger monks are being taught, that um, they're actually taking the practice to heart and they're actually um, uh, getting deeper into the meditation practice. They're kind of attaining deeper stages of practice, of realization. Of, and the discourse is called deeper stages of uh, distinction. But anyway, deeper stages of practice. And uh, so it's a beautiful scene. It's a happy scene. And some of you have ever walked into IMC or walked into a retreat while meditation is in session. There can be a kind of a palpable sense of stillness or silence or tranquility or peace or something that's in the air that is quite wonderful. And um, so that's the, that's a setting that's being laid out. And it's a setting where the Buddha is pleased. It's nice. He's happy with what he sees. And then he says um, uh, that here there are people who have all kinds of different levels of attainment in this group and these people are learning. And, um, and he's really happy and he describes all the different state, uh, levels of attainment from the most high, highest attained to progressively kind of less attained. But, um, and then he describes people who are engaged in various practices including the practices of loving kindness and compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. And the last thing he mentions is that there's a group of uh, some of the monks there who are practicing uh, breath meditation. And this seems to be the point he wants to get to. And then he, after saying there's some people here practicing breath meditation, he says, and breath meditation is really great. He doesn't say it that way, but it's bit, you know. But, you know, if you kind of realize he's talking in his old kind of, you know, language of 2,500 years ago, maybe a little bit formulaic, and uh, it's kind of dry, maybe kind of, you, you know, you're falling asleep here at this point. But if you kind of, kind of give yourself kind of the imagination, realize the Buddha's just saying, um, this breath meditation is so great. It's cool. <laughs> it's wonderful, yeah. I took the way it was written out in the translation course, but um, I took the way it was, like you say, formulaic and seemed to follow his method. And it's, very, it's kind of poetic in a way, too, is that um, because all this was transmitted orally, it's just not written down until many years later, but that's how they kind of remember it was all. Right. That's part of it. And some people have said not only a good way of remembering it, but uh, since these monks were reciting it often, there's something mantra-like about, you know, when you can recite it out loud and hear it and, uh, and allow yourself, you know, to let go of your judgments about this is formulaic and, you know, and this is boring and all that. It's so, it, kind of, it kind of settles the mind. It kind of concentrates the mind in itself. So, and then he says, you know, it's really great. It's a lot of benefits. It brings great benefit, great fruit to do breath meditation. And then he describes, um, and also that breath meditation brings to fulfillment the four foundations of mindfulness. 
and brings to fulfillment the seven factors of awakening. And then he's going to describe how this happens. So he describes, first he describes what this breath meditation is, these 16 stages. And then he describes um, how these bring the four foundations of mindfulness, seven factors of awakening to fulfillment. Now, if you don't know the four foundations of mindfulness, you don't know the seven factors of awakening, again, you read this and you start falling asleep. It's kind of boring. But if you, uh, if you remind yourself that the four foundations of mindfulness and the seven factors of awakening are some of the most celebrated experiences and practices in this Buddhist tradition. And the seven factors of awakening, these beautiful states of mind, some of the most beautiful states of mind a person can attain. And uh, so you just imagine, you know, the most beautiful state of mind you ever had, you know, as a reference point. And the Buddha is saying, and, you know, and, you know, this breath, you know, it brings these beautiful states of mind into, into fulfillment. It brings them out. And if you hear that, you'd be on the edge of your seat. Yeah, let's find out. <laughs> so um, these discourses need some help. And, uh, you know, with, with your imagination. But I think it's completely uh, reasonable to be an active reader, not a passive reader. Many people are passive readers. And, um, and, uh, and we have great writers in, in the modern world who've mastered the technique of writing. So you can be a passive reader and just be swept along, carried along. And um, nothing's required of, from you. But in this ancient literature, I think you have to be an active reader. And, um, and so it requires something from you um, in the engagement with it. So the, um, the 16 stages begin with, again, something that seems very simpl- maybe simplistic or formulaic. It says that a person... Um, from, um, Well, first it begins with instructions. Having gone to the wilderness, a foot of a tree or an empty building, a monk sits down with legs crossed and body erect. So here's instructions. You go to some place that's quiet. Where you're not going to be likely to be disturbed. And the um, idea of the wilderness or in the woods, you go to Hyderabad Park or someplace, you know, find a quiet tree where no one's going to disturb you. Or you can find a quiet place at home, some place where you can be quite alone, undisturbed. Um, so the setting, the environment you're in, is somehow chosen consciously uh, to be conducive and helpful for what you're, is what, what you're about to do. And then um, you sit, sit down cross-legged, which is the way people sat in the old, old, old world, but you're welcome to sit in a chair. But the important thing here is the ins- instructions with body erect. Not stiff, not tight, but not slumping. You don't want to be a couch meditator. Um, so then, uh, one establishes mindfulness um, uh, always attentive. One breathes in with mindfulness, one breathes out with mindfulness. That's the beginning, before the actually stages begin. So always attentive is a very important term here, always attentive. The idea is to develop some concentration, some continuity of attention with the breath. And uh, you might, as those of you who are going to do the year, even if you've meditated for a long time, Think of yourself as beginners this year, just this month. You're starting just, just, just brand new. And uh, the first thing you're going to do is to develop this always attentive quality, this concentration quality, where you're going to connect to your breathing and try to stay attentive of a number, you know, as many breaths in a row as you can. One of the first ideas of concentrating on the breath is to maintain continuity over the cycles of breathing in and out and in and out. And almost all meditators, even people who have meditated for a long time, can benefit from uh, developing more concentration. And concentration also is something that's developed, I think, I think it's good to think of developing concentration as something you do more actively, initially, than passively. Some people have this passive idea, if I I just connect connect to the breath, somehow concentration will develop. But I think that uh, developing concentration uh, can be likened to trying to memorize a passage or a poem. Usually, we don't memorize things passively. We don't just read it once and just that's it. There's an active engagement with the process of memorization. You have to activate, heighten some activity of the mind. Uh, remind yourself of the poem. Kind of hold, as you read, you hold, you kind of take it in a certain kind of more active way than if you're just kind of passively taking it in. Um, there's a kind of active engagement that goes on when you memorize. 
So it might be helpful to think of developing concentration as having some of the same qualities of mind that are engaged when you try to memorize something. And if you haven't memorized something for a long time, you might, uh, this month, uh, go find something that's useful for you to memorize. Um, yeah, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. Um, uh, but, uh, and then uh, maybe just memorizing a friend's telephone number. You know. <laughs> uh, but you know, memorize something good or some Dharma passage, it could be this text. Um, and then, but watch, as you memorize, don't memorize for the sake of memorization. Memorize something, and while you memorize, study what goes on in your mind. What, how you engage in memorization. What happens? What gets activated? What do you do when you're going to memorize something? Um, and maybe a phone number is too short. Maybe you can start there, to get, but then you know, do something longer and longer and see what, what, what it takes in you. And, uh, and then you know, some of those qualities of heightened activity of the mind, heightened attention of the mind, which are useful to engage with in the process of meditation. Now, you might protest and say, well, I thought meditation was supposed to be relaxing. And here you're telling me to kind of activate something. Um, uh, Meditation is supposed to be relaxing. However, it might be that in order to kind of, you need to get over a certain hump in order to get to that place which is relaxed. You need to activate something. And a relaxed mind is not in the mind that's... uh, 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 sort of flaccid, maybe, or kind of, you know, it's um, it's actually quite sharp. And it's this combination of sharpness and relaxation together, which unfolds in a healthy way. And um, so, some people need to kind of arouse that uh, the, the sharpening quality first, and then once that's in place, it becomes second nature. Then you can kind of focus on more of the relaxing qualities that follow up. Some people find that actually the more active parts bring relaxation uh, in itself. Uh, so, for example, if you, some people find that they really focus uh, intently on, you know, absorbed in a good book or absorbed in some craft you're doing or absorbed in playing music, that just that absorption, you're actively engaged. There's something heightened. But that, because everything is focused on that, you're not being distracted by other concerns, that actually it's quite relaxing. And uh, so... The two can go together. So to cultivate this ability to be continuous with the breath. And so what does it take um, uh, to do that? Is, uh, and then uh, once, uh, once you start cultivating that, then the first stage of these 16 stages is very simple. Um, bre- uh, breathing in long, one knows I am breathing in long. So when you have a long inhalation, you simply know you have a long inhalation. This is not, you know, excuse the expression, you know, not rocket science, right? This is uh, very simple. Um, Breathing in short, one knows I am breathing in short. Um, Breathing out long, one knows I am breathing out long. Breathing out short, one knows I am breathing out short. So what's being asked is very simple. It's simply knowing the length of your breaths, how long it is, how short it is. Is And you can see that in different situations. Uh, Sometimes your breath is very short because you're running or something or very excited. And sometimes um, it's uh, very long and relaxed. You wake up from a nice nap and maybe your breath is really long and relaxed. Um, Just that, a degree of attention. Now, if if they're attentive to the breath, one breath after the other, and you know the breath is short or the breath is long, then you're engaged in a process of mindfulness. You're present in the present moment. It's so simple. And some people will protest and kind of walk away when they hear how simple it is. However, remember, this is a radical different way of being in the world than being distracted. You have the mind, you know, the normal mind, from probably most of you, when mind is left to its own devices, you know, it's not necessarily a pretty picture. And it's not necessarily to your best advantage, whatever your mind's thinking in any given, you know, when it's given free reign to think whatever it wants. So what we're doing here is we're gathering the mind into the present moment. So it's here, present and present moment. And if you can really see one breath after the other, this is a short breath, this is a long breath, you're in the present moment. You're connected. You're doing something different than letting the mind wander away freely into the past and the future. Now, these 16 stages, including this first one, 
the Buddha did not elaborate, as far as I can tell, almost anywhere, about what he really meant here. And so it's really kind of a like um, cliff notes. And what this means is different teachers will instruct you differently about how to utilize these 16 stages. And the, the textbook for this year, called Mindfulness with Breathing by Bhikkhu Bodhidasa, he has his particular way. Um, and other teachers have other particular ways in which they do these 16 stages. So if you don't like how I teach it this year, you're welcome to find another way. But, uh, but realize that you know, anybody who teaches you how to do these 16 stages in, in great detail doesn't have it on some ultimate authority. This is how you do it. You know, so you can be kind of light and loose with it. The idea is to find what's useful and helpful as you go pro- progress through these different 16 stages. There is a progression that you'll experience if you go through them. But the details of how that is and how to do it. So with the first one, with these first two stages, uh, seeing the, lo- the, the, the length of the breath, long and short. One of the ways I like to interpret it, in which a lot of people, other people interpret it, is um, it's really shorthand for beginning familiar with your breathing. They're noticing all the different aspects of your breath without interfering with the breath or controlling the breath. Just being very simple, non-interfering, non-judgmental awareness where you're simply becoming intimately familiar with the, all the different aspects of how your breathing is. So your breathing can be, you know, the length of your breath is part of it, the shallowness and depth of it, the texture of it, the sensations connected to your breathing, where in your body you breathe when you breathe, um, the holding patterns in your body as you breathe, the temperature of your breath as you breathe, um, the, uh, the nature of the pauses, uh, if there are any pauses uh, in the breath, especially at the end of the out-breath. And there's, uh, there's a lot of things you become aware of. And the more aware you are of the breath, the more sensitive you are to the, all the, diff- the range of things going on in breathing, the more the breath can become your ally and friend, your support, your refuge. If you're only aware of a very narrow range of the experience of breathing, the breathing cannot uh, serve you as fully and as wisely in your life as you can, as it can if you're aware of much of what goes on in your breathing. So the first task, the first two steps here, is to become aware of how you breathe, what goes on in your breathing, and to cultivate a real capacity for checking in regularly and getting to know it. And so I think that this, for this first month, uh, those of you who are going to meditate at home and and uh, is really the task is to become familiar with your breath. Um, and don't assume that you know what your breath is because how could you when its breath is so malleable, so changeable, so it changes depending on so many different conditions. It changes with uh, temperature, hot and cold outside, your breath will change. It changes with your mood. It changes with who walks into the room. It changes with your activities. It changes with all kinds of things. And so you, you can never kind of know enough about the breathing because there's so much change going on all the time. I like to say, um, just like snowflakes, no two breaths are the same. So if you feel like you finally got it, this is it. You know, it's like saying I got to understand snowflakes now from that one. Um, and so then, on the, built on that foundation of knowing the breath really well, then the other stages come. And the better you can become aware of your breathing, the easier it'll be to follow the next stages. So it's really important exercise is getting, getting familiar with your breath. So that's what we'll do this morning and maybe for much of today is to uh, do a variety of exercises to explore your breathing, get to know it better. So how's that sound? Do you have any questions? Yes. No questions. Any questions or comments or concerns you might have? Yes, please, Mary. understand is this on yeah okay um the idea of noticing and noticing the um the effects of various types of breathing and i think that's valuable but i also wonder why i wouldn't if i notice i'm breathing shallow um kind of want to retrain that for deeper breathing you will do that that's that's stage four (laughs) so we'll, we'll get we'll get to that and um, uh, I wasn't planning on getting that t- 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 uh, today because I thought it's... Um, so if you're willing to put it off, uh, the idea is that the, uh, 
uh, yes, there is a very important uh, uh, role in this breath meditation to adjust your breathing. If you see it's, and if it's obvious, you know, if it's obvious you're holding it tight, you know, please let go and relax. But um, the uh, working with ad- making the adjustment and changing the breath is something will, uh, is, uh, really comes in here on stage four. And uh, again, the more familiar you can get with your breath first, the, the wider range of possibility, potential you have in making that adjustment. If all you're aware of is, you know, is, you know, a single sensation of, you know, in your body, like just aware of the, your, your, your chest going up and down, you can adjust that. But that doesn't teach you much about your, your rib cage and your back and your spine and your diaphragm and your belly and your nostrils and your throat and your mouth and all these different things that come into play as you breathe. So we want to kind of expand our, our intimacy with the experience of breathing first. Make sense? And then once we, kind of, once we start learning how to uh, re, uh, use the breath to adjust it, to help it support us and relax more deeply, then we can actually use the breathing also to help us um, experience more joy. And, and in, uh, the fifth stage in this is to start experiencing joy. So I know it's hard to put off joy. <laughs> and you're all eager. But, uh, but it's better to do this carefully and systematically follow the doctor's orders. You know, and... and uh, and um, and so um, and then we'll get to the joy part soon enough. Yes, please. <clears throat> I feel very enthusiastic about being a beginner in this class. There's something very special about just how this is unfolding very slowly and coming back to a, a place that's very um, primal for us, isn't it? Breathing. My question is about uh, these words, long and short, which are, uh, one, relative terms, and two, require a a mental process to label them that way, which sort of already starts to feel like it's pulling me away from going down into awareness. Yeah, so... uh it's okay. It's okay. You know, if you're used to being calm or settled or something or quiet, it's okay to have the mind get a little more activated. By, uh, but um, uh, um, there's a way. What we're trying to do is, is, is we're trying to. Uh, I don't know if you need to label, but you really want to know or understand, so that at the end of the sitting, you can say that was a short breath. I really knew that. If you, it's possible to get connected to something like to breathing and get absorbed in it and not know anything. And, um, and so it's pleasant, it's nice, it's relaxing, but there isn't any understanding that comes with it. And what we're trying to do is to cultivate a sharper... What we're trying to do is cultivate the combination of deep relaxation and a sharp ability to see and know. It doesn't have to be so discursive. Well, how do you know something? Where is that? I was just going to ask you. I asked you first. But <laughs> Luckily. <laughs> so, um, so, so, what is it? So, and partly I ask because maybe different people have different ways of knowing. But knowing, a minimum, means that after the fact, you remember. And, yeah, that was short. That was long. So, whatever that, whatever that registering is, whatever that comprehension is, that allows you to say, oh, yeah, that's that. Um, you know, oh, that's my friend. You know, just walked in. You know, so like, you know, you wouldn't feel very good if, uh, if you know, in five minutes from then we take a break, um, you know, someone could say, oh, uh, who was that you were talking to? At the, who was asking, asking a question? Oh, I don't know. It was a great question. I was involved with the question, but, you know, I don't know who it was. I mean, I've known you for almost 20 years, right? So, you know, some part of me knows. Oh, it's rainbow. So there's knowing goes on. It's, it's so, it's, it, for you, it's so automatic. It's so, you know, I don't, no, no engagement. I don't have to remember, oh, who's that person? But um, uh, but there is a knowing. So so there's a so what what allows you to clearly know? And sometimes the more clear clear the knowing is, the more clear the acknowledgement, the more it's taken in, taken in, and also the more you're in the present moment. And so as you know, sometimes with um, um, you know interpersonal issues, um, uh, when you feel like someone has really heard you and they repeat back to you what they heard, 
you feel like you've really been seen and known and understood, does it clear that person really knows? So what does it take to really know, to register? And that's why the process of memorization is a good uh, parallel, because there's a kind of deeper kind of registering. You, don't, you, you know the poem when you read it first time, but when you memorize it, there's a much deeper um, kind of engagement or registering, or it goes in a deeper way. So how can you t- have the experience of breathing in and register taking it in in a much more full kind of way? That, uh, so that's, that's, that is a, so the important term in this first stage, um, the first step here, is um, uh, one knows. That word knows is very important. So how do you know? It doesn't require labeling. With the poem that you suggested that we try to memorize, or whatever it was, I think I chose poem, um, you know that you know when you can replicate it, when you can recite it. But you're not asking us to replicate what that breath was like. No. You're asking us to register it. What, what, what's, what is this? Well, uh, uh, to take in the experience of breathing so that after you've had an in-breath, if someone asked you, what kind of in-breath was that? You can say with great confidence, oh, that was a long in-breath. That was breathing mostly through my chest. That was jagged. That was uh, smooth. That was cool. That was warm. That was relaxing. That was, you know, tight. That was, you know, you kind of recognize all. So, oh yeah, I really saw it. I really was there. And you were so present for it, registering it. You saw a lot. So like these little, like these um, games for little kids, memorization games, where you you show a kid a photograph of, of a room, all this stuff. And, you know, for, they would look at it for a minute and then they turn it upside down and say, okay, uh, can you tell me what toys are in the picture? And they have to go through, you know. Or what toy, they say, the second picture and there's one toy missing. Which one's missing? So somehow they have to take it in. So how does that taking it in? And how do you do it in such a way that it doesn't agitate the mind? Because we're not trying to agitate the mind, making the mind busy and active um, in the way that's agitating. So part of the art, you have to, the, whole, the whole, whole process of meditation is a process of self-monitoring. So you have to monitor yourself and know, recognize when what you're doing is not helpful and when it's helpful. So if you're labeling and thinking and discursive analysis of your breath and you're just getting kind of more and more, that's not helpful. You have to monitor that. So this is not the way to know. Maybe there's a silent knowing that kind of like keeps the mind really silent but really takes it in where something in me really registers, so when this sitting's over, I can really tell you what that breath was really like. Maybe that's how it is, or maybe there's different ways. And I think each of you is going to have a different way. Uh, it doesn't matter, you don't have to get it right. Don't worry too much about getting right. There's a wide room for error in meditation, as long as you're in the present. As long as you're engaged in the present moment, it doesn't have to be so accurate, especially initially, because it's such a... Um, a wonderful alternative to being lost in thought. At least you're, you're not lost, you're connected. So, just appreciate that. And, um, yes? So, sorry? It's, okay. it's on, yeah, just, just. Hello? Yeah? When you're in, in deep meditation, uh, it's not uh, like uh, you feel that the breathing you're not you're not aware of the breathing you just you're kind of calm yes so like uh, but you feel enjoyment but so that if you want to you can be aware of it breathing isn't that right Yes. But you don't care about, in that moment, about the breathing. Right. What you care is about your enjoyment. Right? Yes. There's, you know, there's, there's, there's many ways of meditating. And there's many experiences that a person can have, many choices, many choices a person can make about where the attention should go. So in deep meditation, sometimes people are no longer aware of their breathing because they're aware of something else. The mind is very still, very quiet, or very joyful. Sometimes in deep meditation, the breathing disappears. There's no breathing. As far as you can tell, you, you know, you, even if you look for it, you can't even find it. It seems like the breathing seems to stop. 
and um, and um, that's all fine. Uh, this uh, this particular sixteen stages uh, uh, doesn't refer to this, um, but there are places in meditation where the breath stops, and then the instructions can be very particular to that experience. Uh, for now, if that happens to you, uh, enjoy it. But one thing. Uh, but what, what, what's very important, and regardless of what meditation practice you're doing, your experience is doing, it's very important for Buddhist meditation practice, is there has to be some sharpness of mind, a knowing quality of mind, where you actually know what's going on. It's not discursive, it's not analytical. Um, it's possible to have very still meditation, the breath stops or disappears, a lot of joy. And some people um, will just kind of uh, uh, sit back, lay back too much and just enjoy it and kind of tune out, kind of not really know what's going on. They kind of, after a while, they, they pop out of that meditation. So that was great, but I'm not sure what happened in there. Um, in Buddhist meditation, there's a, there's a quality of knowing uh, that remains. The registering or knowing. So this knowing quality is very important. And the knowing, yeah, to be aware. And uh, knowing is a little bit different than awareness because uh, uh, it can be the same, depending who's speaking. But I'd like to maybe make a little difference in that knowing there's... Um, um, I can be aware that someone uh, walks into the room. But I, didn't, I don't really know it in some clear, crisp way. I don't really know who that person is. I don't really know, oh, this is a man, this is a woman. There's, a, there's not engagement with a knowing faculty. Just, just it kind of comes into the field of awareness in some abstract, kind of vague way. And the quality we're developing here is a kind of crispness or sharpness. You really know. So the experience of breathing, really know it. And then if you have these deep experiences, uh, you know, certainly we can talk about how to work with that as we go along. But for now, we're starting off as beginners. Is that, is that okay? Is that clear enough? Okay. Victor. This might be a little pedantic. Um, so your example between awareness and knowing seems to be the amount of detail at a given awareness. So if somebody comes in, somebody comes in broadly aware, somebody comes in, oh, it's skill. It's knowing it's skill, but it's just your attention is focused more. It's less diffuse. Is that it doesn't have to be, it doesn't, ha- doesn't have to be more detail. Uh, maybe it uh, go back to a, a phrase that Rainbow used earlier. Um, when, there's no, when you know clearly, when you're present and know something clearly, then there's, um, uh, you know that you know. So if someone comes in to the room, uh, uh, like someone just walked in here, I don't know who it was, but I was aware of someone walking in, because um, I was focusing on you and, and uh, what we were saying, I didn't notice it was a man or a woman or who it was or anything, uh, but I was aware there was someone walking in, and I knew that I was aware. And I knew that I wasn't going to focus on that because I was trying to listen to you. Uh. And, um, but so there was, a, there was knowing, and I left it being very indistinct. But I knew that I knew. And I knew that I knew that I was leaving it indistinct. So the problem is you don't what? know when you don't know. Sorry? So the problem is you don't know when you don't know. Then there's no problem. Yeah, there's no problem. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, so the quality of this knowing is kind of... It's kind of like a knowing that you, you could almost say, I know that I know, the kind of felt sense or kind of I know that I know. I think Rumsfeld had something like the, un, the unknown unknowns. I think that's... <laughs> okay. okay. So last one and then we'll... I noticed that you, um, in the beginning, were emphasizing for us to notice our out-breath. I'm wondering um, why that is, and also, as opposed to all these other things, is it okay if I am saying in my mind, this is a long breath? I mean, is that cluttering? Is that... I really am a beginner. I'm not trying to be a beginner. (laughs) Great. The the answer to all questions of what is right or wrong, or just the right way of doing it, is really uh, uh, not to be gotten from me, but to, from your own experience, trial and error. So uh, some people, someone who has a really scattered mind, it might be really helpful to have a very kind of 
discursive engagement with the breath and say, well, oh, this is a long breath and this is rough and this is this and that. And, you know, and kind of really be engaged in a very active conversational kind of way because that corrals the mind to be focused. And, but, but, but as you get more corralled or more centered or more focused, then at some point you realize that there's possible to be calm or more relaxed. And then you I'll stop this kind of conversation about the breathing. So to have a st- statement in your mind that says, oh, this is a long breath, uh, that might be useful at a certain stage, certain point. Another point, it might be something that drops away, but the knowing is still there, even though there's not a, a sentence being said. Yeah. I guess I was thinking more in terms, not of right and wrong, of a, what is the, the most skillful way of doing it that would facilitate growth rather than keep me static. Yes, you know? right. So, for, for, uh, so th- th- there's a number of... Th- then you have to ask, what, is, what are you trying to grow? What are you trying to develop? So right now we're trying to develop greater familiarity with the whole experience of breathing. So what helps you do that? And maybe, having a, maybe, uh, maybe analytical thinking at this particular stage might be helpful. Uh, we're trying to um, be in the present moment. And so even though you're having a conversation... Uh, you're in the present moment. You're conversing about something in the present as opposed to daydreaming about yesterday. So that helps you in that regard. Uh, Is it helping you become calmer than you were, more relaxed than you were? If it is, great. Go along with it. For now, that might be enough. And then uh, later you might find uh, that that, uh, in order to kind of develop deeper layers of relaxation, deeper sense of intimacy and connection, Maybe that sense of conversation needs to fall away because it proves to be a little bit filter, a cloud through which you're kind of experiencing things. And so you simplify the mind, quiet the mind. And then you start at some point just feeling, is this helping not only get calmer and calmer, but is this bringing me some degree of well-being, joy or happiness? And how I'm doing it? No, the way I'm doing it, it keeps me connected, but it's not quite, doesn't bring me uh, happiness or joy. So what can I do now to adjust it so it brings me more more joy? Maybe I have to quiet the mind even more, perhaps. And so, so on, on we go. Okay, and, and the reason you were focusing on the out-breath is... Oh, that. Yeah. Oh, um, uh, I wouldn't... Uh, uh, don't, don't take that first exercise too seriously. It's, uh, there, there's reasons for, what I, uh, reasons for doing that. Um, I just had this little whim, this idea that... Um, before people are coming in late, you know, and stuff. So we start with some little bit. And I just wanted people to kind of start getting some familiarity with the breath, connected to the breathing, and to have some experience of uh, starting to tune into the fact that uh, it might be possible to relax a bit more with the exhale. Because uh, sometimes if you relax more fully with the exhale, the breathing by itself becomes more natural. The in-breath kind of happens more naturally by itself in a full or more relaxed way. Sometimes at the end of the out-breath, it's possible to discover, discover a little bit of uh, peace, calm sometimes it's very nice to touch into it kind of helps us be more concentrated more engaged in the process of being present and um, but the, but the, another reason I thought of doing it at the beginning was I had this idea that if I can get you connected to the breath right away then while I'm doing I was going to give a much shorter talk but, but, while, but while I gave this talk about it you would continue uh, being in touch with your breath and that uh, and so you'd be engaged in the breath meditation practice while I'm talking um, and get those benefits rather than just listening to the words. You know, only the words. But I didn't tell you that, so I should maybe should have said that. But, Thank you. So um, let's uh, take a silent break uh, so people can go pee and stuff and stretch. And, um, and, um, and then we'll come back and then we'll do a series of uh, breath exercises. Uh, so keep the silence, and there's a bathroom upstairs as well. And we'll uh, we'll take about uh, maybe ten minutes. Let's try see if we can do pull it off in ten minutes and start again at um, five minutes to eleven. Since for me, you can come up here. <laughs>